Hi, everyone. I'm Roop Raj. On the July 20th edition of Let It Rip, we tackle two topics that have a lot of people talking. Those electors, the 16 of them that are uh, currently under investigation by the Attorney General's office, uh, did they do something that was really wrong, or is this just a witch hunt? We take a look at this case coming up, plus the bankruptcy of the city of Detroit 10 years later. Are we truly better off? You talk to some community activists who say some neighborhoods are not, and firefighters will tell you, hey, they did this on our back, balancing the budget and getting out of that bankruptcy. We'll have a look at both of these topics coming up. And with that, let's let it rip. Tonight on Let It Rip, 10 years since Detroit drowning in debt made history, the largest city ever to file for bankruptcy. Some say the Motor City is better off, others say not so much. We have both sides coming up. But first, the accused bogus electors who prosecutors say try to overturn President Biden's victory in Michigan now headed to court. Is Attorney General Dana Nessel protecting our democracy or is it a witch hunt? The debate starts now. And so it's time now to let it rip with attorney and conservative advocate Terry Johnson, Democratic State Senator Jeremy Moss, who serves the state's 7th District, and as always, Fox 2 anchor and attorney Charlie Langton. It's good to see all of you. Thanks for joining us. With Thank that, you. let's let it rip. All right, so here we go. Eight <coughs> criminal charges, including forgery and conspiracy to commit forgery. That's what these men and women are accused of right now. Terry, I'll begin with you. Uh, what's wrong with this sentence? These are local activists who were recruited as fake electors who showed up thought Donald Trump should be the guy, and signed on the dotted line and walked away. What's wrong with the sins? It's, it's false. It's not true. What's, not, what's the most untrue thing about Fake electors. Said? I mean, the Republican Party elected these people in a, you know, they are the electors. And they, it, the biggest problem we run into here is anytime anything has to do with Donald Trump, the first thing we do is believe everything that's out there. Russian hoax and all the other impeachments that didn't work. What you got to understand here is the law is not on Dana Nessel's side. And let me tell you why. Number one, in order for this to be a forgery, the document itself would have to be real. Think about it from this perspective. The document would have to have two things. Number one, it would have to have the signature from the governor document didn't have that. The second thing it would have to have is the seal, the great seal of the state of Michigan. Didn't have that either. There is no way in the world that someone can look at this and say this was a fake document. It's no different than me. Let me just say this last part. No different than me than going down to a uh, county building and giving, writing a piece of paper saying I own a certain house in a certain area. No, no signature from the clerk. No seal. All right. So with that, some law experts are saying, uh, you know what, Senator, these uh, this is a set of people who believe that in the case, or for whatever reason, a lawsuit tipped the scales and Donald Trump ended up becoming the president, they should have a set of an alternate slate ready to go. And that's why they did this. And as he said, no official seal. What's the crime? These are very serious charges. And, and more than the fact that it's election fraud, this was an instrument that was used or tried to be used, attempted to be used during the insurrection. This was the whole point. Uh, get a fake slate of electors, have Mike Pence, the vice president, uh, unlawfully declare that Donald Trump was the winner. Um, and so Michiganders are, I, across the board are disgusted and just shocked by what had happened on January 6th. This was the instrument to carry it out. Uh, and, and on top of that, 
you know, the real slate of electors uh, met in the Capitol, as prescribed by law, at 2 p.m. on the day that the electoral vote was counted. Yet these people signed a document, submitted it to an official government agency, the U.S. Senate and the National Archives, and attempted to subvert uh, the will of Michigan Carrie, voters. If the shoe was this out. is the shoe, a crime. If the shoe was on the other foot and a bunch of Democrats did what these people are alleged to do, which is to sign a sheet of paper with their thing saying Donald Trump's the guy and pushing it through, wouldn't you be calling this as fake news? Wouldn't you be calling them out right now? No. You know why? why? It's never because happened. It, well, it's happened in Hawaii. But here's the problem. Governor Nessel, okay, because that's what she wants to be, right? Why don't you she's smile? already disavowed that she's running for governor, so you keep, so, can't, you got to so, keep so the partisan poli politics out of it. Yeah, okay. Partisan politics, the federal government, she sent it to the federal government, the Fed said, nothing to see here. In five different states, Georgia, Nevada, Wisconsin, she's the only one that came back and said, I'm going to do something. Here's the problem you have with this. As I said, the feds were right. There's nothing to see here. It's nothing to see here because, number one, it's not a real document. It doesn't so have a seal. Do, so why'd they do it? Why? So you can't, you, you got a better argument than that. Oh, I can tell you. It's a fake document. Let's assume for the moment it's a fake document. It is fake. Why would the Republicans then all sign, all 16 of them, and submit it to the U.S. Senate and the National Archives? Why? Meet in, why? Meet in the basement, uh, check their cell phones at the door. It's not. Let's ask him, though. Why would these folks do that? Why because would you get this together time, to do this? During this time, there there was still uncertainty about the no, election. There wasn't. Uh, even the Supreme was Court at the time before the, the election stayed out threw of this. out threw, threw out the, the challenges. Supreme Court. The U.S. Supreme no, the US, Court threw okay, out the challenges so, before so, so, so uh, this document thing. was signed. Here's the thing: it holds no legal premise whatsoever. That piece of paper. Terry, why not? Why, why sign that paper then? Why? Because the they believed that in case something happened, again, I can't Nothing speak Nothing was going to happen. I, look, give me a moment, Jeremy. I know you're excited. I am excited about I know, this. I know. <laughs> Go ahead, Terry. The reason, I can't speak for the reason, but in my mind, it's, hey, we believe this is what happened and we want to submit this. There was no signature by the governor, which is needed. But Terry, there was that's no not seal. what happened. Joe Biden had already, the, the, real, the electors already signed their paperwork and pushed yes. that forward, and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris had been certified for the state of Michigan as a president That's and fine. vice president. But, but that why then do this? But they did it for whatever reasons they wanted, but it was not an attempt to sh for fraud. It was but, not but an Terry, attempt. Here's, let me, let me help, see if I can help you a little bit. So if, let's assume for the moment, the Republicans truly believe that there was a dispute as to who won Michigan, right? That's why they kind of did it, right? Yes. Sure. Okay. What's the what's the rule of law? What do you do? You go to court. You get an injunction. You get some stay. You get some court order to hold and preserve the certification. How many of, of those the vote. sixteen people were lawyers? Yes no. Or no. Well, wait a minute. You didn't do it. The whole Republican Party is not under indictment. It's sixteen people. Six, the electoral college. How many of them? Those how many the of them are lawyers, Charlie? I don't care. Those well, people. But you're doesn't talking, matter. It does Senate matter. Senate. Of the justice system. That's what Republicans are calling here, and they're curious to know about the timing. Here we are. 
perhaps on the uh, on, on the eve of the fact that, hey, look, maybe this governor that we have that's been successful in the state of Michigan may have bigger aspirations. She goes and runs for president, hypothetical, and now there's an opening and Dana Nessel wants to run for governor. She's not going to tell us that now. Why then do you think the timing is such that it's coming out now? Look, these at, look at the reaction from the legal community or even sitting Republican lawmakers. I haven't heard of a single Republican colleague that I serve with speaking out against these charges. There isn't a single Republican prosecutor. Why there's there's a single Republican why prosecutor. Senator, why now? Because the evidence had to be investigated, and this is the time that she had the evidence gathered together. It takes together her to three years charges. to investigate? Uh, you're a lawyer. I'm, you know how long these things, things take. Nothing but like no, this. Th this, this, is, this. This woman did a press, not even a press conference. She didn't have the she didn't have the presence to do a press conference in front of a live she audience. Let the she evidence bear out. She did let it do well. so process play so out. So you're saying she should have brought the charges sooner? I, what I'm saying is, you're right, what took so long? It doesn't it's matter. politics. Well, it does matter. No, it doesn't matter. The charges are charges. based on evidence. She's going to bring okay. it through due process. And, and, but due process but means nothing to the Democrats. I want to know, what's your best, what's the Republicans' best argument to beat these charges? Well, again, I don't speak for the entire party, but I'm just saying right now, first of all, without a signature from the you governor— You said it's a phony and document. And without, so you admit it's a phony document. It's not a real document. You admit if that. If it's not There's a no real seal. document, it's no seal, then how can you submit? It was submitted to official government agencies. It was submitted to the U.S. Senate. But if Senate. it doesn't it have the, the requirements, if it doesn't have the requirements— why then submit it to all of these different places that you just heard the senators say they submitted it to? If it's they not an official they document— They probably submitted it to have a voice to say, we don't believe this. It doesn't necessarily even mean— Even after what, it was already certified that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris again, were— the, even oh, that being the case, you have a lot of people who go to court and do other things just because they believe certain things. But this is fraud. This, this is, is not fraud. fraud. This is plainly but fraud. Without a signature and a seal, it is not fraud. We have two attorneys here. Technically speaking, if there's no seal, there's no signature from an official on top of all that that they had put their names and signed it on. How is that official? Read the document. The document's pretty simple. It states that they're the electors. It states that they were duly uh, assigned to this task. It states that they are, war are awarding uh, Michigan's votes but to Donald no Trump. Seal. And but there's no seal. That, that's and irrelevant. This is a fraudulent document that was submitted to proper agencies. And if I send a document to Oakland County without a seal or without a signature, it's not a real document. To the Democrats, did anybody, any Democrat in the world believe that this was true? Did the, anybody the, rely on it? The attempt was to use this as an instrument to complete the insurrection on January 6th. That is very real. But, but you know, that is very real. You've got to This attorney general has the burden not just to prove this case, but to prove that this is not politically motivated. True or false? Oh, this is not politically but motivated. Does she have the burden to prove that? I think I think her history has proven that these that, charges that it are is not politically motivated politi by her history. So the f it is. in Dana Nessel's first term, she had charged the Democratic Macomb County prosecutor. She had charged a, a Democratic clerk in Genesee County. In Southfield, she charged our Democratic clerk. This was a very challenging thing that Southfield went through. She is not charged. But she had no hey, hold choice. On. She has, she had I know no you're very excited. 
about it, but let me finish. I am, this is I'm the passionate. very first time that I, I really that she has charged sitting Republican officials with anything during her tenure. They're officials or are they officials? Some of them are. Some of them are clerks. One's a mayor. But they're not this charged is, in their this capacity is, but as this an is official. The very first Senator, time she's charged you, Republicans do, in this type of way. There's a line that needs to be drawn in terms of those who want to question democracy, question an election. Do you believe there's a right way to do that? Certainly, and you know what? They had absolute uh, a pathway to bring challenges, bring a recount. There was no request for a recount. They went through every single avenue in court and even went up to the Michigan Supreme Court and the United States Supreme Court before this uh, this document was but, signed. But the document all, is uh, irrelevant. And all, and all, what should the penalty be? All, what should the penalty be? Uh, she's, she's listed the charges. What do you think? What do you think? She's listed the charges. Would you put these 16 people in jail? I, I want to see this 14. process play out. Think? But these are Why serious. Why do you want it to play out? You've should already decided. These are serious charges. I know. Should and they Dana go to jail? Nessel, the attorney general, has these charges that are sticking. I want to see this process play out. Punishable <laughs> by up to more than a dozen years behind bars. Yeah, some of these charges are 14-year felonies because they're serious. And, oh and they should be treated seriously. And, and, and I will say one thing. I am, I am shocked that you want to, you know, continue to keep this chaos and criminality in the Republican Party. It is totally no, tanked. It starts with Dana Nessel. Totally Don't you want to root your party? I want to thank you both for joining us thank today. You. We have much more ahead on the other side of the break. It's been 10 years since Detroit became the largest city in history to go into bankruptcy. Billions of bucks in debt that it couldn't pay. So looking back, was that the right path? That debate when we come back. Back now, let it rip. Looking back at Detroit's historic decision to file bankruptcy 10 years ago, was it the right move? Diving to that with City Councilman Scott Benson, former Detroit Police Chief Ralph Godby, Detroit Firefighters Association Local 344 Executive Board Member Jeffrey Pegg, John George with Detroit Blightbusters, and Fox 2 anchor and attorney Charlie Langton. And the reason Charlie Langton is sitting here as a full-time popular anchor at Fox 2 in part is because of the bankruptcy. That was one of the first stories that you covered that was big. I out of Kwame, which of course yeah. is a bigger, huge yeah. story, but this is a big deal. Charlie, I'm going to begin with you tonight. <laughs> is Detroit better off because of the bankruptcy? Well, it, it is for most. Now you'll get differences of opinion, but at the time of the bankruptcy, go back 10 years, there were about 18 billion dollars total in debt. They had about a 300 uh, million dollar uh, deficit in the city. They couldn't make payroll. Uh, they had an, they were underfunded on the pensions. They couldn't pay their health care. I mean, these were very serious issues, and the income that was coming in from Detroit just couldn't pay the bills. And so at, it came to a point where the emergency manager couldn't figure it out. Governor couldn't figure it out. No one could, mayor couldn't figure it out. They had to go bankrupt. So the answer, the short answer is yes. How did it plan out? Yes. I would say overall, yes. Did everybody win? No. No. And that's that's what we want to get to here because when you talk about better off, it depends on who you ask. That's the story of Detroit. Neighborhood by neighborhood, things depend on who you talk to. And Jeffrey, uh, I talked to you as a lifelong uh, person who committed himself to firefighting and protecting Detroiters. How did we manage this big grand bargain, this great deal? Well, it was on the backs of a lot of people like Jeff, right? First of all, please don't use that word, grand bargain. Don't use those two words, please. Please, It's, it's, it's almost like a curse. Uh, Charlie, you mentioned pensions. Uh, look, the police fire pension system was funded at 86% level. Pensions are always underfunded, okay? There's always going to be an underfunded liability there. So don't, please, don't think that the pension system brought down the city of Detroit. It may have been part of it, but there's always been that debt there. And um, when 
the firefighters went to the table before bankruptcy was filed. We came up with concessions in order for the city not to go into bankruptcy. This, the people of the city that work for the city are the biggest asset and liability, and we realized that, and we came to the city with a proposal to say, hey, don't go to bankruptcy. We're going to take concessions. We'll take cuts, but please don't do it. And the reason why is because we lost health care. Biggest thing, $5 billion over a 10-year period of time that the city saved. Well, guess what? The people out there right now are starving because they don't have money to buy food because they're paying for health care. Somebody would pay for it at all. Well, Jeffrey, uh, and, and excuse me for using the word again, but in that bargain that we will remain nameless for a moment just for the sake of the... That one, uh, $800 million. Uh, foundations came together along with the state and said, we're going to pad this so that the hit to the pensioners is less. Because of that grand bargain, many people have argued, and the judge argued, Judge, judge Stephen Rhodes, it's because of that that the cuts weren't deeper. Are you at all grateful for that? No, it's a drop in the bucket. Look, the pension system only received uh, $8 million, and they paid out, on average, $300 million for that old plan. Okay, so it's a drop in the bucket. When the state said, hey, we'll give you money, guess what? They took it at a discount rate. They took a discount rate. We didn't get the whole fund. They said, we're going to discount it. And so, Scott Benson, you're hearing right now, again, the many voices of Detroit. It's not one voice. I, I hate to say it. I mean, it depends on who you talk to. The downtown is thriving. People who come downtown, they say, this city has come back. Mm -hmm. uh, you talk to someone in a neighborhood where they're suffering and they're, they're no better off than they were 10 years ago. It's not the same thing for them, is it? And so you can talk to people in our neighborhoods, in our downtown area, throughout the city, and you're going to get different stories. And so if you go to different different neighborhoods, you're going to hear things are much better. We have recreation centers that work. We have a water system that works. We have street lights that now work. We're not seeing the same level of pedestrian versus motor, no, motor vehicle deaths that we did at one time. So we've seen a much better increase and improvement in our city services throughout our neighborhoods. And yes, there are still needs throughout our city. We have a high level of poverty, but it's also ticking down. We've seen about an 8% reduction in poverty over the last 10 years in the city of Detroit, and we continue to tick that down by improved city services and great leadership throughout our city. Ralph Gottman, you were the police chief uh, back in the day, about 10 years ago you were, and I had to ask you the question. Uh, you know, people sit back and they say, oh, well, you know, response times are better now. Mm -hmm. Things are better now. But still, we have one of the most violent cities in America mm -hmm. right here. Well, the seminal study on response time is still the Kansas City experiment. And there is no empirical evidence anywhere that shows that response time has any correlation to reduction in crime. The reality is once you dial 911, the crime has already happened. So response time is a measure that uh, we have an expectation. However, it has no um, meritorious effect on reduction of crime. But I do want to talk about something that the, that the council person just said, that poverty has gone down. Uh, I call BS on that. And the reason why I do is, is because there's been a requisite drop in population. And the people that have been gentrified out of the city of Detroit are the people that needed the help the most. The bankruptcy has not helped them. So if you have 10 people and f four of those are impoverished, if two leave, your numbers are going to go up exponentially and look better. So we have not taken care of, or the city has not taken care of, the least and left out and left behind. And then, as from a crime perspective, uh, Detroit is still one of the most dangerous cities in the, in the United States of America, in the top ten. John George, the way you cut down on crime, in part, in a small part, but an important part, is to cut down on blight. We know for a fact that there have been 20,000 plus homes, 24,000 homes that have been taken down. Uh, 
a lot of that money came from the bankruptcy, didn't it? I believe it did. And, you know, blight is like a cancer. If you don't stop it, it spreads and it destroys the whole neighborhood, the whole community. Uh, but the question at hand is, are we better off today than we were 10 years ago? And I think right. the answer is yes. You know, if I, I, I've never considered myself to be a financial wizard, but if I owed you $18 billion yesterday and today I don't, I got to feel that I'm in a better position financially. Of course, we need to uh, do whatever we can to replace the dollars that were taken from the retirees, the firemen, the police. I know in this last state budget, some dollars went that way, and we'd like to see more money come back to where it but needs John, to go. But John, I, I got to ask the question. You go downtown, and the last time my wife and I were there, I saw security guards that were private security guards walking the streets along with Detroit police, preventative. You feel safe, why? Because it's preventative action. You go to the city and you go to some of these neighborhoods that Charlie goes to almost every day, they'll say, they're not here to prevent crime, they're here to react to crime. That's a problem, isn't it? Well, of course it is. Uh, but back to your point about blight. When you remove that negative energy, it creates a space and a place where something positive can happen. As a matter of fact, next month we're breaking ground on 48 units of affordable housing in the heart of Old Redford, where we hand-wrecked with our volunteers over 14 vacant abandoned homes. It's about a $14 million uh, project. Um, the mayor is putting in about $700,000 in our art alley over at the Artist Village where the Java House uh, resides. Um, we're also working with Peter Cummings. He just mm -hmm. donated a building to us and a million dollars, and we're getting some funding from the state and city to build another community center. So it, it, it all has to do with getting rid of what you don't want so you can create but what you do want. But if you're a young person who is living in the city of Detroit in a neighborhood that's been disenfranchised, and you're hearing about the Java place and all these other places, this is not stuff that affects the people who are hit the hardest. Charlie, you hit the streets each and every day. When you talk to Detroiters in these hard-hit neighborhoods, what do they think about the bankruptcy and how it did for them? The bankruptcy was an amazingly complicated proposal. I think people that, I mean, some of the best lawyers of the country were in Detroit learning how to do a municipal bankruptcy to the extent that it was. It was, it was a textbook on how to, on, on the law. Forget about that. If you want to talk about the people in the streets, people want jobs, they want safety, they want to need police. I talked to people today. They want a police presence in certain areas of the city of Detroit. The people need jobs. They own, they need home ownership. And, and that that's what's got to happen in Detroit. Charlie, I would put landlords out of business. I would say people have to have investment, a stake in the community. Do it by owning homes. But Charlie, you make an excellent point. Wealth is created through real estate. And the fact that home ownership for, again, disenfranchised blacks in the city of Detroit, that's 80% African-American, that has not gone up extensively enough to recreate. And when you look at Black Bottom and how 375 went through and took wealth away from black people, that still has not been replenished. Jeff, so you, bankruptcy decade, has not helped that. True. Decades true. of financial mismanagement and population decline caused this. They had no other choice but to do this, and they know they were going to do it on the backs of men like you and women who are like you were firefighters. That okay? No, of course not. Um, we just had a meeting today and talked about, again, the decision of uh, the judge to change the amortization of the underfunding and about how it kind of handcuffs the retirement system to make decisions in order to benefit the participants. Um, we're happy to hear, though, that the mayor is talking in the public world of increasing pensions and possibly looking at, and along with city council, looking at looking at giving some of these things back. But And the state recently, thank you very much, uh, contributed $10 million to Aviva that helps provide a benefit for uh, retired police 
police officers and firefighters, but it's not enough. It's not enough. Uh, the, the, the people that have put their lives on the line need help in retirement. We have to leave at age 60, so. So Councilman, what do we do about this? You're hearing Jeff talk about mm -hmm. the money that's been lost. What does the council do about this? So the council will have the opportunity next year's budget to help right some past wrongs. And so we have the opportunity after this next revenue estimating conference to see how the budget will look for 2024, 2025. If there's money, we can do something to support the uh, pensions. We were told, not told, we were by law, we could not touch the pensions for 10 years after bankruptcy. Those handcuffs are now off. We have the opportunity to support. The mayor has made, has made public declarations that he wants to support to provide us with a budget that will help the retirees. Is that good enough? Of course, we'll have to ask Jeff that on the other I'm side I'm sure of the there's nobody's going to say nothing's good enough. But nothing's good enough, but, but is that good enough for now? Do. At least to start. We'll check that out when we come back with our final thoughts. And Charlie is taking Let It Rip on the road. Ten years ago this week, the city of Detroit filed for bankruptcy. You think we should have? No. It was a struggle afterwards, especially uh, for people that uh, were employed by the city. We ain't no better off. What, what, what we do, how, how we better off? Sir, do you think we needed to go bankrupt? Yes. Anytime you own the water, how could you go into bankruptcy? I don't understand that, Charlie. You think the bankruptcy was good? Thank you. What now? The bankruptcy was good 10 years ago? Man, I don't know about no damn bankruptcy. <laughs> Inflation is high. Crime rate is a lot higher. Um, the cost of living has went up. So I think it's worse you now. It's worse now? Yes. No, it just seems like times is harder now than it is back 10 years ago. Do you think Detroit should go bankrupt again? No, I don't think so. I think Detroit is coming back slowly. It's just going to take a little bit longer. We doing, we doing okay. You know, it meant a lot of this and that, but you know, everything is okay for us, I'm concerned. Quick answers here. What can we do to make things better? We're, we're willing to sit down with the mayor and council to go over increases in benefits and possible more money towards our VBA. Absolutely. Ralph Godby. Intentionality around creation of black wealth. Scott Benson. Wealth generation for black people. I love it. John. Working together to make the city better and safer. Charlie, how hopeful are you about the future? Oh, I think it's going to be good. I think home ownership is going to be good. I think education is going to be good. I think the city's got a lot of promise in the future. All right, Fox 2 got this guy from the bankruptcy <laughs> coverage, and so I guess we're grateful for the coverage that you gave that allowed you to open the gates here, and we're thankful for you for watching this edition of Let It Rip. Thanks for joining us. The Let It Rip discussion continues online. Sound off on Facebook, Twitter, or Fox2Detroit.com.